The Word of God says in Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were seventy persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. This is the word of the Lord. What a joy it is to be together in the Bible. And as we go to the Word of God, we recognize that this is power and that it does change our life. And so our prayer today is that we would have hearts ready to respond to what God has to say to us. And this is an exciting day because we're diving into the book of Exodus. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with Exodus, but it's the second book in the Bible. And as you think about this title, Exodus, well, it actually comes from the Greek, um, the, the Greek Septuagint translation, let's say, of the Old Testament scriptures. And this word exodus, it's, a, it, it's got two parts to it. The ex means out, and then hodas is way. It literally means the road out or the way out. It actually first appears in the Bible, if you want to turn there, just a few chapters um, over to Exodus chapter 19. And we see this word appear in verse 1 of that chapter where it says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. That phrase, gone out, that's the word exodus. And so that's what this book is named after, at least in the English. But as we're going to find out in just a little while, it's not called exodus in the Hebrew language or in the Jewish world. And so we'll come to that in a little while. But as we navigate our way through this amazing book of Exodus, uh, I want to ask a simple question, and that is, uh, how are we going to do it? Well, one of the things we want to do is to avoid distractions. Don't know about you, but I'm definitely one who's easily distracted, and if you doubt that, just ask my wife. She would affirm such details. But I think oh, when, I come to, when it comes to prayer, that's one time when the distractions become so evident. You know, there I am praying, and I'm like, oh, Lord, uh, intervene in the situation with Nathan and do whatever it takes to stop him in his tracks and bring him to true repentance. And wait, wait, speaking of bringing something, have I, have I delivered that dish back to, back to the neighbors, the one that we borrowed? Oh, the neighbors. That's right. I saw them using that leaf blower outside, and I meant to check on it online for pricing and the reviews. Maybe I should go do that now. Oh, wait, wait. Wasn't I praying? Who was I praying for again? You see, distractions just lead us down all these different trails, and we end up in a place that, well, frankly, it's just not a worthwhile place to be in. And so as we go into the Word of God, we have to recognize we, we need focus. And I want to just uh, remind you, uh, let you know of what our focus is, but also what our focus isn't as we walk through the book of Exodus. Our, uh, our focus is threefold. I could say it's biblical, it's uh, Christological, and it's practical. But the way I, we typically put it here 
is first we're going to stick to the scriptures. We want to be biblical. And so what we're not aiming to do is we're not aiming to form a lot of hypotheses of things which are beyond the realm of what the scriptures tell us. Now, as you go through Exodus, you're going to recognize there's a lot of these issues. For instance, maybe it's timelines or maybe it's who was the Pharaoh in a certain episode of the the account or uh, where is the actual Sinai or where is it Red Sea? Is it Sea of Reeds? Like, all these different so-called nuances that different ones discuss, but we want to stick to the scriptures. Now, there's a place for all those discussions, but this is not going to be that place. So if you're one who says, man, I, I want to know more about that, feel free to contact us, and I'd be happy to point you in the direction of of men and women far wiser than myself who have delved deeply into these topics, but we want to stick to the scriptures. Secondly, we want to see the Savior, and I won't go into that much, but as you know, when Christ opened the scriptures in Luke 24, beginning with Moses, he showed, and all the prophets, he showed the things concerning himself. This book speaks of Jesus, and we want to see Jesus literally on every page. And then finally, we want to submit to the Spirit of God. What do I mean by that? This is practical. It's meant to change our life. If you're just listening to to become smarter, well, you're missing the point because this is not about being smarter, but rather it's about knowing Christ more intimately. It's about obeying him more fully, about bringing him glory in this world. So to know him and to make him known. So there are five things that as we walk through these first seven verses, we want to touch on. The first thing that uh, please make note of is this, the centrality of this portion of the Word of God, the centrality of this portion. Now, when I say centrality, what I'm saying is that there's a lot revolving around the book of Exodus and the themes in the book of Exodus. First of all, there are, I believe, 217 references to Exodus in the New Testament scriptures alone. Now, those are New Testament scriptures. If you want to talk about the book of Psalms, wow, the book of Psalms practically is a songbook about the book of Exodus. I might be exaggerating slightly on that, but am I? Go through and read the book of Psalms in the light of Exodus, and you realize that many, many of the Psalms are a commentary of sorts in song poetry form of what happened in the Exodus time. Interestingly, all but six chapters of Exodus, uh, and remember Exodus has 40 chapters, are mentioned in the New Testament scriptures. So it, it certainly is a, a pivotal book and a book that is central to the themes that we see running throughout the Word of God. Also, I think it's worth noting that God likes to use a certain um, name, or we could say description of himself, which comes from this book. We see it first in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, but it certainly does not stop there as uh, he continues to remind the children of Israel of this aspect of his uh, his character. And it's in chapter 20, verse 2, where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so, again, this is an identifying feature of the Lord God. If it's an identifying feature of God, don't you think he wants us to delve deeply into it so that we might know more about this identifying feature of him? Now, we're going to discover as we walk through the pages of Exodus that 
there are many very beautiful names of God which are revealed in this book, and I'm excited to get to those. But today is not the day, uh, as we are going to focus in just on verses 1 through 7. So we see the centrality, but but going beyond that, um, the, the theme emerges that we have a God who keeps his promises, because even as this book starts off, and the children of Israel are in the land of Egypt and, and in bondage, in slavery. Not quite yet, but it's leading to that, as we'll pick up in verse 8 next time. But here's what I, I want you to see. God wasn't caught by surprise that any of this was happening. And he's a God who keeps his promise all the way back in Genesis 15. He said this was going to be the case. But what's he doing? Revealing his character. So notice, when we talk about Exodus, you also recognize that this is not the only Exodus in Scripture. In fact, uh, there are many Exodus stories throughout Scripture, and I would also say Scripture as a whole is an Exodus story in itself. And what I would say from that is tying together the beginning of Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation. What you see is the Exodus pattern. Exodus pattern. What am I referring to when I say Exodus pattern? I'm glad you asked. So Exodus pattern, I would say, has three main parts, not necessarily always following exactly this pattern, but there is evil, there is exile, and then there is an exodus, and that exodus is a deliverance, and, and what, what exodus we refer to it as, and a theme that goes on through the scriptures is redemption. So what do I mean by that? Well, you see that there is evil. We see that in the Garden of Eden, that there is evil. There's sin that comes in, and so what happens? They're exiled from the garden, and now what? They need an exodus. They need an uh, someone to bring them out of that place of exile and into a relationship again with God that they enjoyed in the garden previously. We see these, uh, we see these different um, patterns follow through Scripture, and certainly we see them when, when the, the children of Israel, the, you know, whether it's Judah or whether it's Israel, uh, are taken into exile later on. And why? Because of the evil that they were committing. They're taken into exile, and then there is a deliverance that God brings later on. Of course, we see it here in the book of Exodus, and we'll discuss that as we walk through the book. But I want you to notice that the big picture of the Exodus is I don't even want to say mirrored in Christ. Christ is the ultimate, so the rest is the mirror in a sense. But what do we what do we mean? The Exodus is a pattern or sets the pattern for the life of Christ. You see, just like Moses, who was born to rescue the children of Israel out of Egypt, Christ was born to rescue us from our sin. And in fact, it's even said of of Jesus Christ that out of Egypt I have called my son. Who's called God's son in the book of Exodus? Well, it's it's not Moses. It's the children of Israel. He calls them my son in Exodus chapter 4. And and you see uh, in verse 22, he says, Israel is my firstborn son. So we see this picture. Out of Egypt I have called my son. And then what happens? They pass through the waters. Of course, between that is the Passover lamb. We know Christ is the Passover lamb. They pass through the waters into the wilderness. Jesus passed through the waters of the Jordan into the wilderness. They went for 40 years. Jesus went for 40 days. And and and, and as you continue that pattern on, uh, they go to Mount Sinai and they get the law. Well, Jesus goes to the Mount, of, uh, the Mount of the Beatitudes, as we call it, and he gives his law. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, and you go on, but but then you get to the Mount of Transfiguration. And in case you're wondering if any of this is my idea, and it's not, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says, because you get to the Mount of Transfiguration, and in Luke chapter 9, verses 30 and 31, we read, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. 
That's interesting. It says he spoke or they spoke of his departure. You know what that word departure is in Greek? Maybe you've already guessed. It's the word exodus. Jesus here, Moses and Elijah, what were they talking about? They were talking about Jesus exodus. And where was his exodus going to be? His exodus was going to be in Jerusalem at a cross on Calvary. You see, his exodus was to deliver people from the bondage of sin. The story of scripture is about the grand exodus that we were in exile because of evil, because of sin. But God sent his only begotten son, the rescuer, to bring us out of exile through the grand exodus. And so we see the exodus of Christ as being the way that all of us have a pathway, have the way, because he's the way, the truth, and the life to God the Father. You know, there's actually another exodus that the New Testament scriptures speak of. It might encourage you. Uh, it's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. And Peter, writing to his disciples, um, he says this, that I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. It, that's interesting. He says, I'll make every effort so that after my departure. Well, I think you probably already guessed what word I'm focusing in on there, and that's my departure. What word is that in Greek? Well, once again, you've guessed it. It's the word Exodus. So Peter is speaking about his Exodus, but what Exodus is he referring to? Well, clearly he's referring to his death. His death is an Exodus. And what is that Exodus? Well, it's an Exodus from this world. But why is he referring to it as an Exodus from this world? What Exodus? It wasn't Jesus' Exodus, our Exodus? Well, it's the Exodus that provides us salvation. But what I want you to notice is Peter says in his first epistle, the one that came before the verse I read, I read in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and, are you ready? Exiles. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. You're not at home. You're in exile. You're in a foreign land. But to do what? To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See? Again, as exiles, as strangers, I want you to recognize that this book of Exodus is of utmost importance to us because we too are living in a foreign land. We too are in exile in a very real way. But we're going to see the gospel be so clear throughout the book of Exodus. And we're also going to recognize many practical lessons for those of us who believe on the Lord Jesus, who are in a sense in exile in this foreign land but knowing one day and a day not too far off, we too will be home forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, there's terminology throughout the Bible where the centrality of Exodus is seen, whether it's terms like I mentioned already of redemption or ransom or deliverance. These are key words in scripture used to describe the work of Christ on the cross. And, and where do they come from? They come from the story of the Exodus. So here we see a theme, a God who delivers his people from slavery. Now, if you want some framework for the book, I want you to think of it like this. And I'll try to say it uh, in simplicity as uh, to imagine all of this in your head could be a, a bit difficult. Take Exodus 1-1 through Exodus 18-27, that's the end of chapter 18, and you have the first part of the book, which is Redemption from Egypt. Second half of the book, Exodus 19, 1 through the end of chapter 40, you have revelation from God. So, redemption from Egypt, 
revelation from God. And these two aspects, these two parts of the book, really, it's interesting to uh, juxtapose them because the first half really is about getting Israel out of Egypt. But the second part is about getting Egypt out of Israel. In other words, their heart still long for many of the things of that exile land. And again, representing the flesh and representing this world. But uh, we, we see these two sides to the story. Uh, chapters 1 to 12 is about subjection or slavery. Chapters 13 through 18 is about redemption. Redemption, or I could say salvation. And then finally, chapters 19 through 40, it's about instruction or schooling. Uh, and, and so we see this, uh, this journey that we're going to take through the book of Exodus. Now, it's actually... Uh, interesting to notice the time frames because really the little portion that we read represents uh, 400 and 400 plus years here um, and so it's only seven verses but it's a huge chunk of the book when it comes to um, time wise because then as you go between uh, here in chapter I should say almost 400 years I shouldn't say over 400 years because then beginning in verse 8 all the way through chapter 12 well if you combine all of that period so chapters 1 through chapter 12 you're gonna have about 430 years um, so obviously when Moses is born there's 80 years between his birth and when um, the burning bush incident happens in chapter 3 so 430 years in those first 12 chapters. Well, then the next uh, few chapters, chapters 13 through 18, that's all only two months, just a two-month span. And then chapters 19 through 40, which is over half of the book, well, that's just 10 months. So you see the last, uh, last grand portion of the book from chapters 13 through 40 represent one year of time, and yet they get most of the real estate of the pages of the book of Exodus. And so uh, as we go through it, remember, the first half really is about restoring the knowledge of Yahweh to his people, and the second half is about restoring the presence of Yahweh among his people. Now, I want to make one more mention before we move on past the centrality of the portion of Exodus, but consider this all an introduction to the book. Um, I, I want to encourage you at some point, read through the book as a whole, rather than dissecting it verse by verse. There's a place for that. We're going to do that in this podcast, but I want to encourage you to, to look at it in the big picture format. Um, N.T. Wright actually said something which uh, I, I thought was very uh, interesting and insightful. He said, imagine if you were at a concert and you got the first 10 bars of Beethoven's fifth, fifth symphony. And then the conductor turned around and said, okay, that's all for this week. Come back the same time next week and we'll have the next 10 bars. Well, you would think, wait, uh, that's not the point. Uh, you, you're supposed to play the whole thing. Uh, well, you see, you don't listen to it in order to remember every note that's being played. You'll remember quite a lot of it, but you listen to it in order to be swept along in the full flow and sweep and flood of it. And uh, he, he said this, I, I grieve over the fact that there are many, many Christians who have never, ever read one of the Gospels or even one of the epistles straight through at a sitting. Well, I want you to notice with the book of Exodus is that there's something big happening. And as we look at the details, the details are vital. But sometimes we have to zoom out and see this fits into all of the scriptures. This is a book which ties together so many themes which emerge all the way from Genesis 
through the book of Revelation. So we see the centrality of this portion. The second thing we'll notice is the continuity of God's plan. The continuity of God's plan. Now, I said the book of Exodus is called Exodus in English, and it comes from the Greek. But as we know, this book is not written in Greek. That's just the Septuagint. So with that said, well, it's written in Hebrew. The first phrase, these are the names, at least in, in my Bible, well, that's not a direct translation. In fact, if we looked at a direct translation, there's this Hebrew letter called Vav, and uh, when you put it at the front of a word, it's a conjunction. And this conjunction can mean so or now, but usually what it means is and, A-N-D, and. So if you really want to take this as literal, this book starts off with the phrase, and these are the names. And these are the names. Now, if you're writing an English paper, you're not going to get the greatest grade if you start off your paper with the word and. It's not a commencement to a book. It's a continuation of a thought. And that's exactly what we need to get. The continuity of God's plan. See, Exodus might start in chapter 1, verse 1. But this is not the start of the story of the account. In fact, Exodus isn't the only book, even in the Pentateuch, that starts with the word and. You go on. You got Exodus. You got Leviticus. You got Numbers. And, and, and. Well, what's going on? It's one continuous flow. You'll see that very clearly at the end of Exodus, the beginning of, of Leviticus. It completely connects. With that being said, um, I, I want to take this a step further here. We see that this is the word and. Um, but as G.A. Chadwick said, it's all part of one great drama. It's one great drama. If you go back to Genesis, you would see in chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis that it begins with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what's the last verse? The last verse of Genesis, well, it's not creation. It's a coffin. It ends with the, with the verse, so Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So what is Genesis? From creation to a coffin. From creation to a coffin. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to end the story there. I need more. And praise God, we have more. We have the book of Exodus. These are the names of the sons of Israel. In other words, the story goes on past the coffin of Joseph. And so we see there's a continuity of God's plan. There's more, though. There's the characteristic of God's patience. The characteristic of God's patience shows itself in that first verse. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. First off, notice the interesting detail that we have the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Who's Israel? Who's Jacob? Same guy. Why two names? Well, you'll remember that Jacob's name was changed to Israel um, later on. But Jacob, what does Jacob mean? He's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. Isn't it interesting that God uses his name Jacob? Yeah, the sons of Israel, that's what the people are called, named after him. But we are reminded who God is works with, the characteristic of God's patience. God works with people like Jacob, and it's not just people like Jacob. Did you go down even a little bit further? Uh, this is the grace of God being revealed. We've got Simon or Simeon and Levi, who were very hot-headed guys who were on a revenge warpath. We've, we've got Judah, who had, of course, his immoral fling with Tamar. Uh, 
It's his daughter-in-law. We've got Reuben, who is immoral with his father's concubine. Um, and we've got Jacob, and he's got a plethora of stories too. But, you know, there's no one in Scripture that God identifies himself with more often as the God of, saying, I am the God of. Not the God of Abraham, although quite a few times. Not the God of Isaac, though a decent amount of times. Not the God of Moses, not the God of David. Most times in Scripture that God says, I am the God of that character, it is Jacob. Isn't that interesting? What a characteristic of patience we see in our God. He wants to be identified with the broken, with the messed up lives, saying, those are the lives I came to rescue. Those are the lives I've come to save. Those are the lives I've come to lead on my exodus. And I'm, in, I'm encouraged by that because I am Jacob. I, I, I am that man. I am a broken, messed up life, but for the grace of God. And so the characteristic of, of God's patience shows so clearly here. Notice it says, these these are the names. Don't, don't miss it. These. You might thought think it was those, but it's these. Now you might say, Nathan, what are you even saying? Well, you know, when we get to chapter 6, you'll see this very clearly, but at the end of chapter 6 in verses 26 and 27, after giving the genealogy of, of, uh, of Moses and Aaron, it says, these are the Aaron and Moses. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, this Moses and this Aaron. Why is the word of God saying? He's saying, you might want to dress up God's story. You might want want to make it seem all smooth, but my friends, it's not. The reality is God takes broken lives. If you're still wondering, read Matthew 1 and the genealogy there, and we don't have time to go into that right now, but Jesus Christ chose to enter a family who is filled with, with sinful paths, and yet he came in to redeem us from that sinful state. So we see the centrality of this portion, the continuity of God's plan, the characteristic of God's patience. But, but then we see the care, the care for God's people. What is care? Care is to feel concern or interest or to attach importance to something. And where do we see this care? Well, we see these care, this care in the fact that it says these are the names. This is where we find the title of this book in Hebrew. The title of this book in Hebrew is very much just that. And these are the names. And these are the names. This is the book of names. You have the book of numbers coming up, but this is the book of names. Well, why would God want this to be identified as the book of names? Well, you'll remember that back in Genesis 15, he promises Abram that the people that were going to come through him were going to be innumerable as the stars in the heavens, as the sand on the seashore. But God wants to remind us at the very beginning, no, no, I know them by name. This is not just a number. This is not just some distant story I'm part of. These are relationships. These are souls that I love and I'm going to send my son to die for, to redeem them and take them on the ultimate exodus and so we see the heart of God being revealed even in the title of this book, the book of names, and these are the names. The centrality of this portion, the continuity of God's plan, the characteristic of God's patience, his care for God, the care for God's people. And then finally, the, the last thing, the fifth thing here is the certainty, the certainty of God's purpose. Notice uh, God's plans will not be thwarted. 
In verse 1, it says the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. And then in verse 7, we have those sons of Israel again translated as the people of Israel. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. I don't know if immediately the connotations jump in your mind, but they should. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God said uh, to them, man, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, it's interesting, be fruitful, multiply, and fill. Does that sound familiar? But the people of Israel were fruitful, increased greatly, they multiplied, grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. Hmm. We see what what's happening here is God's blessing, the very blessing that he ordained, that he assigned man to live in back in Genesis 1.28. Here we see it happening, but where is blessing happening? Blessing is happening in the backdrop of exile, and as we're going to see in the next few verses, we're going to notice that blessing is accompanied by pain, by hardship, by trials, by rejection. Isn't that interesting? Blessing is accompanied by such things? Well, it shouldn't surprise us too much. When Jesus Christ defined blessing in the sermon he gave on the mount, he spoke of blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Go on. But every position of blessedness, ending with blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, is in a position of weakness. In fact, the ones that he said cursed to, things like cursed or woe to those who are rich, cursed are those who are full now, cursed are you who laugh now, cursed are you when men speak well of you now, the cursed had the easy route. So what we see here is we see that there's a certainty of God's purpose and his blessing is oftentimes masked in a situation of difficulty. But as that's the reality, that should encourage us as well. Because what is God telling us here? He's saying, I have a plan. And the things you think are enemies to that plan are actually only going to be catalysts for my glory. And we'll see that as we walk through this book. So What's the application of what we've looked at in these first seven verses? Well, first, your focus. Are you focusing on a God who sees a far bigger picture than you see? These characters that we saw in the first seven verses, they never saw the plagues to come on Egypt. They never experienced a Passover night. They never experienced uh, the, the, the redemption from the land and the going into the wilderness and the crossing through the Red Sea and the establishment of the tabernacle. Your focus. Are you focusing just on your life? Are you focusing on God's big picture? What about your fortitude? You should be encouraged. God uses broken people. And that means he wants to take you on a journey. And that brings us to the final thing, your faithfulness. See, that journey might not be a journey that you deem to be great. You might not deem it to be what you would ever sign up for. But what, what is the journey? It's faithfulness. You notice these characters, they were fruitful, increased greatly, they multiplied, grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. This is what they were called to do back in Genesis chapter 1. 
they were faithful where they were. Remember later on the exile when uh, in, in, in when Jeremiah is writing to the exiles. What does he say to the exiles? He says in, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, that, that live in the land, build houses, have relationships. In other words, he's saying, be faithful where you've been put, even though where you've been put seems like a place of punishment. Because the reality is you're part of the big story. Then we have that famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you. And the plans for you, you're never coming home. Life is never going to be easy. You're not going to see Jerusalem again, most of you. But I know the plans I have for you because my plan is bigger than your earthly existence. So maybe your life seems mundane today, but I want to encourage you. Uh, God's got a plan. He's working it out, and he's invited you to be faithful in the part that he has you to play, knowing that one day you will be on a grand exodus, and Christ has made the way through his exodus so that forever you can go to the true land of promise, to be forever with the Lord. We'll pick back up in verse 8 next time, but this has been Into Your Bible, and our prayer is that you would be one who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. Thanks for listening to Into Your Bible, the podcast, an extension of the ministry of Rock International. This is a place where we dive into the Holy Bible, seeking a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. Wherever you listen, subscribe to not miss an episode. And if you want to take things a step further, leave a review so others can find it too. For free resources, show notes, and more, check out our website at www.intoyourbible.org. Until next time, keep diving in.